Welcome to Free Your Children on WXRQ 1460 AM, Christian Radio. I am your host, Tiffany Boyd, and my mission here at Free Your Children is to share the truth in love about education. There is a battle raging against the souls of our nation's children. I hope this ministry equips you for battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. I want to thank Safe Storage for sponsoring tonight's show. If you have storage needs and you are in the Middle Tennessee area, Columbia, Mount Pleasant, or Hohenwald, you can find Safe Storage at safestoragetn.com. If you're interested in sponsoring for your children, you can reach me at freeyourchildren at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email at the Borough Pulse, that's B-O-R-O-P-U-L-S-E dot com, where I'm a monthly contributor. I have an author page, so you can just type my name in and read all the articles that I have penned to date about education. And you can also find me on my website at freeyourchildren.com. Well, we're here in Tennessee, and Governor Lee has just announced a special legislative session that begins on August the 21st. If you follow for your children... And if you read my articles, I've been warning over and over again that mental health is going to be a focus at this special session, as well as school safety. I firmly believe that there is going to be legislation that's going to be brought out at this session that is going to be an issue with parental rights and education. So we're going to be watching that legislation closely. I have assembled a a team. We will be combing through that and reading through those bills to make sure that there aren't any red flags. I've already been alerted by several people that there are concerns with this. So for your children, we'll be keeping you posted on that. And along that same vein, I am very, very happy to have our guest that we have with us tonight in studio. Her name is Connie Reguli. She is known in Tennessee for her aggressive legal representation of families and children against government oppression. As an attorney for the last three decades, she has traveled across the state of Tennessee, walking into courtrooms in both metro and rural communities. She has also been a dynamic leader for changes in the system. Connie has lobbied state and federal lawmakers to make changes in the absurd funding schemes that incentivize removing children from their homes, as well as reforming the dysfunctional Department of Children's Services. Her social media platform now has parents from all over the United States working with her. Connie is also known as a felon, a scheme concocted by a Williamson County district attorney and a judge to silence her and criminalize her. That tactic has fallen apart and only served to energize Connie to expose the truth about the coercive control of government agencies. Welcome, Connie, to the show. Well, and thank you, Tiffany. I am so excited to be here with you, and I am so grateful for you and everything you do. I mean, one of the things that I have been doing most recently is looking for kindred spirits, <laughs> you know, people who are also have that voice. And uh, because as you can tell from my brief history there that you re- read, um, I have been criminalized. They made me a felon to shut me up, but here I am, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes, it's amazing how powers that be want to censor truth when it threatens 
threatens their agenda. So I do want to thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing for families and children in the state of Tennessee, and not just the state of Tennessee, but across the United States. And so what I do with For Your Children, I'm not just here in Tennessee either. I advocate for parental rights and and the ability to be able to educate our children as parents believe um, is best for their child across the nation. So we get reports all of the time of families that are dealing with situations where that right is is being denied to them. And so I really appreciate and value all that you're doing. And I want to jump right into this. And I want you to tell our listeners, what prompted you to choose this line of work? Because it's not an easy path. Well, and, and, you know, I'm going to give you the short version of that because I really want to get into the heart of the meat of what you and I need to share with people because our paths have crossed for a reason. Absolutely. But, you know, I went back to law school late in life. My family had a successful restaurant business in Nashville. We'd spent three decades building a, a restaurant there. And I'm like, okay, we've got a lot of cooks in the stew here. I'm going to do something else. And I thought it was going to be very simple. I'm smart. I'm a good advocate. I'm a good talker. I will go to law school. And so I didn't become a lawyer until I was 42 years old. And I really thought it was going to be something where I could help people, you know, where I could speak the truth, I could help get their facts out there. There would be smart judges who were judicious and patient and kind (laughs) and thoughtful. And, you know, it just wasn't long into it until I found out that I had been fooled. (laughs) I'd been totally fooled on what the profession was about. And so as I got into private practice, and I also adopted three children from Russia during this time period. So, you know, I was a pretty busy person. Person, mm-hmm. But, you know, it didn't take long into this process until I started becoming involved with families who were involved with the Department of Children's Services. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, God sends you things and you don't even understand why sometimes. But I immediately and now we're going all the way back, you know, to 2000 when I started seeing and it started being revealed to me how parents were being treated in this horrible system. And, you know, I, I'm going to speed through the last 20 years. So again, we can get to the meat of it. But I mean, I have I have been on top of them. I've looked at their finances. I've studied it federally. I've been to Washington. So I've torn apart the operation of that. And now we're at the crossroads where child welfare agencies and education are coming into a collision course. Mm-hmm. And I think we really saw it at the pandemic in Tennessee when our then Penny Schwinn, uh, uh, Commissioner of Education, wanted to send out to do welfare (laughs) checks to the homes. And since I know that one third of all uh, referrals to CPS and removals of children come from come from the schools, I was in a panic. And mm-hmm. and so I've also been just engaging with people involved with education as well. Right. It's interesting that you brought that up. I was just on a phone call with a senator yesterday, and we were speaking about that well-being child task force and well-being check initiative that happened during the pandemic. And, and you know, if people, again, if they've been following for your children, they would know that I, the homeschool group that I founded, we actually found found that on the state of Tennessee website and realized that that had been uploaded to the site. And I was speaking to the senator about it yesterday, and I said, you know, when we found this, we mobilized as a homeschool community. And I said, and we essentially shut the phone lines down at the Capitol in opposition to this. And she said, 
you're absolutely right. You certainly did. I was there. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, that's what that people are waking up and realizing that there is a push for major overreach um, into parental rights. And you're right. I really feel like that COVID or the pandemic was a catalyst for parents really starting to see, hey, you know, maybe the government does belong, believe that our children belong to the state. Oh, yeah, they do. And also they can monetize them so easy now these days. They monetize them through the child welfare system. Mm -hmm. They monetize them through the juvenile justice system and through education. Yeah, it's our paths do intersect. Um, Educate. I tell people this all the time education touches everything you can't look at education exclusively um, aside from everything else because it it's all going to intersect now tell us you ran for judge right yes I did <laughs> so yeah so I will uh, do a little bit of a flashback back in 2008 I did my p- first political venture and I threw my hat in to run for state rep in Williamson County against Charles Sargent who had been a state rep for some 14 years never been challenged and you know I had like like four friends and a thousand dollars and we just like put a petition out there but I made him get out and work which was very very interesting and still with that little bit of effort I had like 22 percent of the vote in the primary it was amazing you right. know and so you know I've done several other things oh my gosh they started retaliating against me and filing disciplinary actions and just you know trying to consume my time and distract me and discredit me I've been up at the state capitol I've spoken in committee meetings I've sat in in the offices of so many state reps and so many state senators. You know, my my state senators, Jack Johnson, I've gone up to him and I've talked to him about this. And so in 2022, I was I had kind of postured myself and positioning myself. I wanted to run for juvenile court judge. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to run for juvenile court judge because I wanted to show that it could be done the right way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a real heart for struggling families. Right. I mean, I was raised in a struggling family. You know, as a single mom, I was, you know, working with my kids, trying to work through all all of our issues. But I had worked with hundreds of families Mm -hmm. by then. Mm -hmm. And I saw how they were being treated in the system and how they were being dehumanized, I mean, literally, and children Mm -hmm. being dehumanized in the system. So I decided to run for Williamson County Juvenile Court Judge. In the meantime, while I was preparing to do this, I did discover that Williamson County was creating and going to spend like... um, $200 million or something outrageous on a new, what they called the JJJ, which Mm -hmm. was the Juvenile Justice and Jail Center. And then as I was reading it, I found out that they were going to incorporate 48 mental health (laughs) beds for children. Mm -hmm. Now, here's my message that I want to be loud and clear with everybody today because this is the message that they had to shut me down over. A juvenile court judge can adjudicate, adjudicate a child as a severely emotionally disturbed child. They don't need a psychologist. They don't need a doctor. They don't need an expert. It is up to the judge. And if a judge adjudicates a child severely emotionally disturbed, they can put them under the custody of the state of Tennessee and then lease out those mental health beds at the rate of approximately $500 per day per child or $17,000 a month. Now multiply that times 48 and you can see that this is was for profit. And indeed, it even said in these news articles that it was going to be funded 
partly by private equity, which means it has to be for profit. That is some scary stuff right there, Connie. Very scary. And and then you see right there the intersectionality of this mental health and these initiatives that are coming down the pike. And ironically for me, I started out early, you know, in this journey where mainly I was just helping parents navigate out of traditional public school and navigate into the homeschooling world. Then the, the pandemic, COVID happened, these well-being child checks um, were initiated or they attempted to initiate them until we shut that down. And then I started really taking a deep dive into what was really going on in education and parental rights and legislation that was being introduced. And most recently, during the last legislative session, there was a bill that was introduced. It had a companion Senate bill. It had a House bill. The House bill was HB 1214. That particular bill, it started out originally, it was a direct attack on homeschooling and it named homeschoolers. And of course, we threw a big fit about that. They removed that, you know, from the wording. But the bill was still very nefarious. And one of the reasons why is because it specifically sought to open and establish at-risk charter boarding schools. Then we really started diving deep into that, and we realized that these children were going to be identified as at-risk, and they categorized, you know, what was going to qualify an at-risk child. Some of the things that were going to qualify these at-risk children were, number one, the socioeconomically disadvantaged. So some of the families that you've just spoken about because they feel like they're, I'm sorry, they're easy to manipulate, okay? So it's a crime to be poor, apparently, (laughs) That's one. Another was truancy, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. Uh, Negligent parents, dysfunctional families, um, children with disabilities. I mean, the list just went on and on and opened a Pandora's box. And it just was, you know, when you start looking at these things, I laugh and say this, but it's really not a laughing matter. What family isn't dysfunctional? You know, who's going to be making the decision, you know, if these children are going to be placed in these at-risk boarding charter facilities? Well, it became really clear to me very quickly that the way that they were going to do this was through these uh, mental health professionals that they're loading the schools up with, social workers, Yes, you heard that right. Social workers, mental health counselors, behavioral health liaisons, psychologists, all these um, health professionals that they were going to be, and they are, pumping into the schools across the nation. So when I saw this, it was a huge red flag for me and for many other people. I sounded the alarm about this. We spoke out in opposition, you know, to this particular bill. But let's talk about that a little bit, Connie. Oh, yes. Let's do. Yes. So, you know, when you're, okay, so they're identifying these kids as at risk. What are they doing with them? Once they're, once they're identified as at risk, we have a a situation right now currently in Tennessee, in Coffee County, Tennessee, where um, a parent had to go to court for alleged truancy. And the judge, and you can listen to the recording um, of the voices own uh, the judge's own words his with his voice over on for your children. It's been circulating in in many different areas where the judge tells the child, "I can send you away for this." So where where's away? Yeah, you know if if a child is is truant and they can be removed from their parents, it, the whole issue here was he was going to send the he's 
from his words, he is stating that he, he can send the child away if they don't return to public school the very next day, even though the parent had enrolled legally their child in a Category 4 non-public school in the state of Tennessee, which is an option, you know, for parents. And he said that, so that child and that family, you know, automatically start thinking, where are they going to remove my child to? Where are they going? You know, so explain that process, Connie. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up because I saw that bill as well. And mm-hmm. knowing what I know about the Department of Children's Services and just uh, the law, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the federal level. But here, here let's frame this with this concept. We know that the institutionalization of humanity does not work. We know that. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know that. America, please open your eyes and look at your history and look at the the cases that have come out. And I'm just going to give you a couple examples. One of them is there's a very prominent United States Supreme Court case about the institutionali- institutionalization of adults who were... And, you know, I hate to use mentally retarded. I know that's not a politically correct word anymore, but who were developmentally disabled, Mm -hmm. right? And there's a very important case out there. It's called the Olmstead case. And it is about how they were forcing these adults who could function outside of an institution if they had just some help, some support, and how it was a violation of their civil rights to institutionalize them. And then let's take a look at Cloverbottom in in Middle Tennessee. Cloverbottom is an institution where we put, you know, disabled adults for years. This was under a federal consent decree for 20 years, starting in 1995, because of the mistreatment of adults, of adults. Mm -hmm. So we know that institutionalization doesn't work. As a matter of fact, for children, we know this so much, and they even know it at a federal level, that through my grassroots organization in 2015, we started working in Washington, D.C. to eliminate group homes. Mm -hmm. And so in February 2018, we finally got passed by Congress the Families First Prevention and Services Act, and it had four elements to it. One of them was to eliminate group homes, eliminate group homes. We know we know they do not work. We know they are just a, a hotbed for worse abuse for children than they were suffering outside of that facility. And so now, and then we have the Department of Children's Services in Tennessee who had children sleeping in the offices. Mm-hmm. Children sleeping in the offices, and they are constantly, and I'm up there all the time, and I'm wagging my finger. I'm, they, they think I'm a crazy nutcase now because <laughs> I keep telling them the same thing over and over, that you're wrongfully removing children. You're not mm-hmm. rehabilitating families. You're not giving the citizens of Tennessee what they need to be strong, healthy parents and have families that they can raise their children in. And so when I saw, and and by the way, so the family, they changed the name to the Family First Act to make mm-hmm. it easier to say. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be implemented by all states by, by October 2018. They pushed it back, pushed it back, pushed it back. Finally, the ultimate date was October 2021. So we have a federal law. Mm-hmm. We have a federal law that says the states are to eliminate group homes. <laughs> 
And then I see this. Yes. And then I saw this. Yes. And then just today, I was notified that there was an article that was released by WKRM News. That's WKRM News. You can look it up about the Bledsoe Youth at Risk um, facility, which is a home for at risk boys. Yes. And so they're under a whole bunch of scrutiny about things that are happening at that home. So, you know, now I guess instead of calling them group homes, we're going to start funding them through the educational pipeline and calling them at risk charter schools. Yeah. I guess that's the new trend. And, it, and it's extremely concerning because, you know, you're they're tossing around terms like educational neglect. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, when you start, when families, you know, when they have to go to court for things like truancy, and I know that you want to share a little bit about a case in Rutherford County. What happens to those families? Yes. Once DCS gets involved, what happens, Connie? Yeah, so, uh, and I know you and I have talked about uh, another case that came up and, and this truancy issue. Uh-huh. And, and I had a mom contact me out of Rutherford County, and there's an article that recently was published in the Tennessee Tribune about this. But she had a truancy brought against her because <laughs> her mother had gotten sick in Georgia, and she notified the school and wanted to take her her uh, teenage children with her and enrolled them in online school Mm -hmm. and took them to Georgia Mm -hmm. and they filed truancy on Mm -hmm. her. And, you know, she was pretty pissed, right? Mm -hmm. She was upset. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, she uh, they never even actually served her with it. (laughs) But what happened was the police show up at her house. Mm -hmm. They take her, cuff her, put her in a police car, take her to the police station to book her and make her go through booking. Now, keep in mind, truancy is a class C misdemeanor. Mm -hmm. And even to proceed on it, every single school has to have an attendance policy Mm -hmm. in which they have a step one, a step two, a step three. They have to document it. Mm -hmm. And that even says right within the law that if the school does not do that, the court has to immediately dismiss the truancy against them. But while they took her down, they booked her on truancy. (laughs) DCS came to her home and took her three children, including a 20-month-old baby mm-hmm. took them and as we sit here today she doesn't even know where her daughter is because wow. they removed her daughter from the foster home and won't even tell her where her daughter is now can you imagine the panic as a parent no I if you do not even know where your child is right and if you have a 20 month old baby who is just developing and then they then after they took her 20 month old baby they claimed he was autistic because they didn't like his speech Uh they didn't like the way he was talking he's 20 months old right yeah it's egregious and and you know once parents enter this pipeline it is just absolutely abhorrent the things that are happening. And, you know, we seek to bring awareness to this, to try to stop this egregious, what we believe is egregious abuse of power. Uh, parental Parents have rights. And I think that, you know, a lot of our government entities are not acknowledging those rights. They're usurping those rights. And it's time that these people are held accountable for these actions. And, and I want to say something a little bit about truancy here. 
if you're listening to this, what you need to understand is truancy, the issue with truancy is not the fact that these children are missing and aren't getting an education. Because it's clear that even when they're in school, they're not getting an education. True. <laughs> if we look at the nation's report card, True. they're not being educated in the government school system as a whole, if we look at the statistics. However... If those children aren't in the seats of those local schools for so many days within the school year, then that school doesn't receive the funding. Absolutely. The money. So this is about money. This is not about the best interest of the child or the children. So I re- it's my firm belief that this that truancy is the one way, one of the many ways that they're getting these parents sucked into this pipeline. Well, yes. And and you know, and I, I really hope people understand this, that if the state takes custody of your child and puts your child in foster care, the foster parent gets money. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. They want... They want to terminate parental rights. Right. Now, I don't know if all of your listeners all over have even heard that term before or ever thought there was a possibility that the government could take away the birthright of mm-hmm. your child, but they absolutely can. Mm-hmm. And then they continue to make payments for yep. the boarding of that child, plus the state gets a $10,000 bonus check. Yes. So it is, and Tennessee got over a million and a half dollars over the past year or so. And so, and that's in terminating parental rights forever. Rehoming children, I call it uh, generational genocide. Mm -hmm. They are taking away who your children are. Yes. And, and clarify me if I'm wrong about this, Connie, because you're the professional on this. When a child is adopted out of the foster care system, isn't it true that that family still receives payments? Oh, yes, indeed. Okay. Yes, they do. They still, and actually, I just printed that off yesterday. Oh, yeah. And this little uh, rate announcement for fiscal year 2024 has a footnote on it. I do want everybody to know that starting February 15, 2023, Foster parents also receive a $2,000 bonus per child mm. if they keep that child for six months. Wow. <laughs> and I like, I did a little video myself and it's like, I bet there's a lot of Tennessee parents would say, look, if you send me a check of $2,000 tax-free every six months, you know, I'll figure out a, a, a way to make sure my child goes to school. Right. Absolutely. Well, Connie, if a family is having issues, how can they contact you? How can they find you and what you do? Oh, thank you. So on Facebook, we have a platform. We have a group called the Family Forward Project, and that is a public group. We have about 18,000 families that are members. Uh, those are people who help me, uh, give me research, go to Washington, D.C. with me. I also have a YouTube channel that's just under my name, Connie Reguli. That's R-E-G-U-L-I. And, you know, they can contact me through Gmail. So Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E dot Reguli, R-E-G-U-L-I at gmail.com. I do want you to uh, put in the uh, subject line, uh, uh, save our children, if you would, because I do get lots of emails and that way I can sort those out and find them. But I want to, and this is my plea because I need more and more stories. These legislators that I've talked to don't even, uh, don't even think this is really happening. Mm -hmm. They do not believe that this is happening. So I want your stories. I want you to have a voice. I want for people to speak out. Do not be afraid. Do not be embarrassed. It is you are not alone and your voice matters. Absolutely. I'll have all of Connie's information where you can find her over on my Free Your Children Facebook page when her interview airs. Connie, tell parents what are some things that they can do? 
Well, uh, educate yourself. <laughs> right. And, you know, and find people that can support you. Yes. One of the bills that I asked for, for the, from the Tennessee General Assembly was a family advocate bill that mm-hmm. all that we would be able to have family advocates in any educational or child welfare issue. That bill did not get out of committee, by the way, thanks to our family and uh, family committee that I'm not very happy with. So uh, we are developing advocates anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) through the Family Forward Projects. We do family training. I train people how to be pro se litigants, uh, how to stand up in court and ask the right questions and, you know, be prepared to defend yourself because now you (laughs) have to do that. Absolutely, Connie. Listen, we really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to come down and help educate the public on this. Um, your work is invaluable. Keep, well, keep doing thank what you're you. doing. Thank you, and I will be happy to come back and share more with you. <laughs> thank you so much. And I also want to thank Safe Storage again for sponsoring tonight's show. If you have storage needs and you're in the Middle Tennessee area, you can reach them at safestoragetn.com. I also want to leave you with this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 We love you here at WXRQ, but remember, Jesus loves you so much more. Good night, and God bless.